What's up, KSAP? James Ford, that's me. Let me talk to him. Let's get it. I'm sick of ball dropping. Sick of ball dropping. Chopping up these topics, man. I'm sick of ball dropping. Driving coast to coast, making moves ain't stopping. Driving coast to coast, making moves ain't stopping. Hey, let me put you on game. These other podcasts, I hear talking they shit, but ain't repping the same. It's my bro KSAP, chopping up topics for your optics. From politics to your top picks. Tune in, you gotta watch this. Exclusive material for your radio. Here we go, pumping our definition. Stop what you doing and listen. We smashing all competition. You better jump on this wave. Somebody pass me a mic. Man, I got something to say. And now, your host of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast, the man behind the mic, KSAT. Yo, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome into another episode of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. I'm your host and the man behind the mic, KSAP. And today we got a special episode lined up for you guys. Uh, we're going to be talking about boxing. And I brought back one of my boxing analysts, um, Mr. Dewan Hall. Mr. Dewan Hall, welcome to the show. KSAP, thank you for giving me another chance to get on the mic, brother. I been cooped up with this uh, virus that's going on. I reached out to you, said, let me get on the mic, and you made it happen. All right, great. on the platform, and, and thank you. All right, man. It's, it's always special to have you back, man. Everybody always wants to hear your intel when we talk about boxing, so rightfully so. We're always going to bring you back to the mic. Um, since we're talking about boxing today, um, it's only right to give respect and pay homage to the late great boxing legend and trainer, Mr. Roger the Mamba Mayweather. We're going to do a 10 bell salute to send him off the proper way. Rest in peace, Roger Mayweather. Rest in peace, the original Black Mamba. Okay, great. Now it's time to go ahead and get this show started. Um, you know, this coronavirus got everybody cooped up and, and, and settled into their homes. The stay at home is in effect. Um, you got a lot of downtime and, and we do a lot of things, man. It's a lot of sports avenues that are shut down. There's a lot of things that they play back that you can look at. A lot of rewinds, and we're going to give you guys a great show today, and we're going to get this thing started off. Um, I know, DeWine, on previous episodes, um, we talked about, you know, Devin Haney, um, and here is a soundbite on what we said in previous episodes. debut in Vegas Live. He was on one of the undercars of the uh, Tim Bradley Manny Pacquiao fight. And a buddy of mine that you met, Frost, he said, hey, there's this kid fighting on the undercard that's supposed to be special. 
And, and sure enough, it was a four-round fight, you know. I mean, sure enough, he got the KO. I think it was like the second round or something like that. Uh, Devin Haney is, is special, no doubt about it. If you look at all the major boxing organizations, have him in the top ten. But here's my thing, though. Right? He's promoted by Eddie Hearn. He's going, who's going to take the fight with him at 135? Right? Bob Arum is not going to put Lomachenko in there with Devin Haney. First of all, the fight ain't going to be big enough for pay-per-view. It's too dangerous of a fight for Lomachenko. So who's going to fight him? He's kind of on the outside looking in. So on that aspect, DeWine, since we was talking about Devin Haney in that clip, why do you think there's a lot of people that won't give Devin Haney a fight? We said, I mean, Devin's on the outside looking in, and he's a problem. And uh, it's kind of surprising because I think his record's like 24-0 with 15 knockouts. I mean, that's less than a 70% knockout percentage. That means he don't have the one-hitter quitter, and they still don't want that smoke. Uh, you look at Lomar, he was the mandatory uh, challenger for, for Lomachenko. All of a sudden, the WBC just created a franchise championship and gave the fight to somebody else. We saw uh, Ryan Garcia look fantastic uh, with the knockout. And right after the fight, he called out Linares, he called out Tank, he called out everybody, but he didn't call out De Devin Haney. I mean, Devin got in the ring, and he still put Devin Haney last. And uh, I think that's kind of interesting because they have a history. And um, I just don't know. I mean, I just don't know why they won't give him a fight. Well, we do know why, because he's a problem. Uh, having it, uh, Haney and his dad corner B-Hop after the Garcia fight and says, send the contract. And B-Hop started talking about Linares and Tank and, and, and Tolfimo Lopez. I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think, ASAP? Well, you know, my take on it is, uh, do you think, is it is it because he's so young, he's 21 years old, and you got to go back and look at the history of Devin Haney, like you said, you know, in 25 fights, well, 24 fights, you know, with 15 knockouts. And like you alleviated to, he doesn't have the one-hitter quitter. I mean, he's a boxer. I mean, he got great footwork. He, he knows how to throw the jab. He knows how to throw the, you know, the combinations. Also, if you really look at it, we always talk about this ring generalship. He knows how to cut the ring off. And when you say he's a problem, this is one of the guys, like, when he started his career out, you know, I don't think a lot of people understood. He started his career off in Mexico. His first four fights was in a Mex in Mexico. So people really didn't, you know, know too much about Devin Haney. And when I say that, it goes back to another previous boxer, Adrian Broner. When Adrian Broner broke on the scene, nobody really knew about Adrian Broner until he broke on the scene late in his career. You know, the ring antics with brushing his hair after the fight. But with Devin Haney, it's like he's like, one of them type of fighters that is a problem for everybody. He's been calling people out. He's been getting in the ring. He wants to make these fights happen. But if you look at, you know, some of his fights, he don't have no big names on his on his on his card. All 25 fights, he don't have no significant name that stands out for people to be like, okay, he's 21 years old. Should we give him a chance? I know he's trying to make it happen, but We've always talked about this. I've talked about this myself. I just think he is so skillful that guys are ducking him. And I think, you know, his promoters and, and things like that, they, they're trying to make these fights happen. But like you said, I don't understand why people are ducking him. He is a major problem coming up in that division. 
Now, he's called out a lot of people. He wants these fights. And I go back and look at footage, man, when he was um, in the um, Mayweather camp and he was in there sparring with um, Floyd's dad. And he was hitting the pads and hitting the, hitting the mitts. And his attention to detail, man, it's like we say about Floyd Mayweather. He don't have that one-hitter quitter, but he knows how to box and he knows how to stay out of harm's way. So in that aspect, I really, I can't, we can't pinpoint why people do not want to fight Devin Haney. But Devin Haney is out there hunting people and he wants these fights, but people just don't want to fight him. Man, he's calling people out by name. I mean, him and uh, Tank got into a little Twitter beef and then it was like, they'll say everything, but let's fight. And nobody wants to stay on the contract. I just saw uh, an interview with Tofimo Lopez, who's another fighter, you know, who finally got a chance to fight Lomar. Well, we hope that they'll fight in uh, July, you know, with the virus. And, and they asked Tofimo about Devin. And he said, you know, he don't want to fight Devin. Devin's the champion in recess. He kind of laughed it off. He called out Garcia, he called out Tank, he called out everybody. They don't want to fight Devin Haney. And Devin got robbed, you know. He could have gone to the 2016 Olympics, but they upped the age limit to 19, removed the headgear, and he was too young. So like you said, he had to turn pro at 17, and you know, he went to Mexico. And I don't know too many people that would go to Mexico to fight somebody unknown, a professional, you know, somebody that's a junior in high school. So... He's a problem, like you say, got great skills, hook off the jab, got the shoulder roll, catch and shoot, great body work. I mean, if you look at the fight that he did, did with, uh, and, and don't, don't Jenny, I'm not sure how you pronounce the, the, the guy's name, man, young game fighter, but he didn't stop him. And people still don't want that smoke. And I think they don't want it because he beat up a lot of people in the gym. He dominated a lot of fighters. Uh, the rumors that he dominated Tank. Rumors that he gave Amir Khan everything he wanted. Uh, you know, when Amir was at 140 grade to fight, uh, get right Frank Crawford at 147. So, I mean, he's a problem, and and the, the management doesn't help. I mean, Eddie Hearn is, is a good promoter. I like what he's doing. But uh, you mentioned earlier about Luke Campbell. Like, nobody wants to get this man a fight because they know uh, they can take an L. And that's just the bottom line. Yeah, and that, that's that's great that you pointed that out about someone like, you know, sparring with guys that he, you know, been in the ring with sparring. And, you know, when he was in that Mayweather gym, man, you know, you know, he, he sparred many rounds with Floyd Mayweather. And, you know, coming from that orthodox stance, you know, my take on it is, I mean, the skill level, you can see the skill set. And I've always yes. I've always said this to you, and I, I'm a stand on this. It's certain fighters that I always believe that their career could have went on a little longer if they would have stayed in the tutelage of the Mayweathers. And I'll give you a prime example. I've always said that about Zab Judah. Zab Judah's career could have went on longer than what he displayed if he would have stayed and got humble and just, you know, got into the Mayweather camp. You know, I have no problem with his father, but his father was a mixed martial artist, you know, guy that was trying to train him and the corner instructions just wasn't there for me. But you called that out, man. I am sorry, you called that many times. And I agree with you. I mean the instructions were fast and, and moving all around, punching in the air, no clear instructions at all. Uh nothing no game plan at all coming from Jared's dad. And see when you say that, it's like everybody always has a plan A 
but what is your plan B? I just don't think some of these fighters, once their plan A goes out the window, they don't have a plan B. And you you touched on it with um, Eddie Hearn as a promoter. Um, the thing about it is Devin Haney tried to sign his own promotion you know, company in 2019. But my thing about I've always said this, you know, that the zone network, a lot of people don't watch fighters that are on that the zone network, man. I mean, they get kind of lost in the shuffle. Ever since HBO Sports and Boxing went away, there's only a couple outlets that you can fight on and contracts that you can sign. And a lot of people are signing these the zone contracts. But I just think a lot of people are not aware of Devin Haney. A lot of people got to start recognizing this young man. 21 years old, man. He's brilliant. At 21 years old, already 24 fights, man. So he's he's been fighting, but like I said, he started his career in Mexico. Nobody really knew who he was, but once he gets a chance and everything picks up, and like you said about this coronavirus, this has slowed everything down. Hopefully fights can start picking up in July. Hopefully that'll, you know, that'll break through. But right now, Devin Haney, he's a problem, man. Like you said, he's called out a lot of cats, but they won't sign on the dotted line, man. And and on that take, I, I don't know the issue, man. I'm so baffled with that. Um, and it got us in a loophole, man. So I don't know. He called off Garcia. He called off Mikey Garcia at 140. And we're serious. Yeah. What? Promoters are protecting their fighters, man. You know, it's a business. That's what it is. It's a business. And for some reason, I think Floyd kind of kind of set the bar with, with the no losses. And everybody think, oh, if you have a loss, your career is over. But that ain't true, man. That ain't true. There's plenty of champions with big losses that make big money. You need to let the best fighters fight. Totally agree, and, and you always say key points, calling out fighters. You talked about Mikey Garcia. You talk about Devin Haney called out Mikey Garcia, and Mikey Garcia is not giving him a chance. But when Mikey Garcia had the likes to call out the likes of a Earl Spence, Earl Spence gave him a chance. So why not give Devin the Dream Haney a chance to get in there to display what he's been telling these guys all along? I'm a problem. I want to fight you guys. Stop ducking me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even, uh, I remember when Roger, I mean, not Roger, but uh, Floyd, Floyd Sr. was a trainer, and, and uh, Broner was, was on top of the world. He was still undefeated. And uh, I want to say that was at 135, and, and Broner was at 140. And <laughs> Floyd Sr. said, two more fights, he ain't ready for Broner. <laughs> and they still don't want this. It's crazy. That's crazy. That man cannot get a fight. They scared of him. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, looking at his skill set when he's in the ring, I mean, there's a reason why people should be scared of him, man. I mean, he can he can take the boxing world by storm if he gets these major fights and, and gets his name on a couple of these cards that are big-time cards. So it, it, we're going we're gonna to wait and we're going to try to see. And like I said, this coronavirus got everything slowed up, but hopefully by July – we can pick the sports back up and pick up boxing. And, and we got to, like they said, we got to get the fans what they want. So, people, if y'all out there listening, man, hey, we, we me and DeWan always said this, man. We need to make these fights happen, man. We're big boxing fans, and we need to make these fights happen. And we're, we're talking about boxing. And we've always said in previous podcasts, uh, we talked about one pertinent thing on when should a corner man stop the fight. Now, there was a previous fight that took place 
between the heavyweights, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Um, and there was a there was a stoppage in that fight. We covered this on a previous podcast when we was talking about stoppages of fights. Let's listen to this soundbite. When do you think it's appropriate time for your corner man to stop the fight when their fighter is taking too much beating? Man, it's a tough decision, you know. Um, I think here's my thing is you have to protect your fighter from himself, and you can't let a fighter quit. Once they quit, it's pretty much over. If you look at, uh, you know, Cotto against uh, Margarito, his uncle finally did stop it, but that was after Cotto sat down three times, which made it easier for Cotto to quit against Pacquiao. Uh, just this past weekend, there was a fight with uh, Isaac Dope, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, against Emmanuel Navarrete. And Andre Ward was calling for them to stop that fight at least three rounds before his father jumped in and stopped it. And I think it's the hardest for father trainers. You know, I'm a boxing fan. I, I love chopping up with you and, and Larry G and the other people about boxing. But I never want to see a fighter get hurt. Um, DeWan, tell the people... Um, your aspect on what you're thinking on was that a good stoppage or should the corner let the fight continue? Mark Breland saved Deontay Wilder's career. If it wasn't for Mark Breland stopping that fight, there would be no interest in the third fight. You seen Wilder come out in the third round, listless, he had no legs. Uh, I talked before on the podcast, I mean, his condition is not there. So was it a good stoppage? You know, I hate to say it, you damn right. He saved that man's career. And I don't care what they say. They better be thanking Mark Breland for Deontay Wilder's health, both physically and especially mentally, going into the next fight. Man, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I'm going to piggyback off of what you said. A lot of people gave Mark Breland a lot of, criticism after that fight why did why did you stop the fight and you touched on it man he gave Deontay Wilder a chance to fight another day because build leading up to that second fight me personally we've always talked about this and I've talked about this on previous episodes when we talked about Deontay Wilder um, Deontay Wilder solely leans on that right hand but coming into this second fight with Tyson Fury, me personally, I don't think he really trained for that fight. I thought that he came in with the perception that, you know, if he had a chance to touch him on that um, chin, that he he could get him out of there from the way he, you know, ended the first fight. But I don't really think he did a training regimen going up to that fight, a lot of talking, making you believe that, hey, if I touch him, I'm going to get him out of there. And rightfully so, because he has that one hitter quitter. But at the same time, you know, coming into the fight, you know, he was 18, 12 to 18 pounds heavier than, the, you know, the first fight. So I really don't think he trained in that fight. And when we go to the stoppage, that was a great stoppage by Mark Breland. You know, Mark Breland was under the tutelage. He was on the, in the 84 boxing class. He was under the tutelage, tutelage of Lou Duva. So... You know, they had, you know, the likes of Meldrick Teller, Mark Breland, Pernell Whitaker, Tyrell Biggs, Evander Holyfield. So that was a great boxing class in the 84 Olympics and the tutelage of Lou Duva. So, you know, Mark Breland is an excellent corner man and trainer. And I just think, like you said, he saved Deontay Wilder, you know, 
to get this next fight because if he would have let Deontay Wilder go out on his shield and say Tyson Fury would have knocked him out, why would we want to see a third fight? Now this builds up to a third fight because now you can rely on the excuses that Deontay Wilder saying, hey, you should have never stopped the fight. I still got the right hand. I still was in the fight. But my thing is the excuses after the fight. I had a lot of things going on with me leading up to the fight. The fact that you said the costume was too heavy, 45 pounds heavy. By the time you got into the ring, your legs were shot. But there's there's videos, you know, floating out there of you working out and stuff that heavy and you saying your legs was gone. So, you know, you can save all the excuses and the excuses have now led up to a third fight. Hopefully it'll take place. I know the contracts have been signed. It's in place. It was supposed to take place in July. Hopefully we we're still on course for that fight. But like you said, Mark Breland did an excellent job of stopping that fight to have Deontay Wilder another chance to reclaim the heavyweight championship against Tyson Fury. And as we're talking about that, we're just going to brief. What do you think will happen in this third fight if it does take place on time? You know, it, it, it's a very interesting, interesting fight. And the reason why I say that, I'm going to go back to when you started the, the podcast with Roger Mayweather. You know, I wasn't a huge Mayweather fan. But oftentimes in the corner, you hear Roger Mayweather say boxing's a thinking man's game. And everything going into this third fight is, is mental. And uh, I'm, I'm going to take it on a little a bit of a tangent for a second. I'm going to bring it back home. Uh, I have an uncle who's a great dog trainer. He used to do Schutzen. Schutzen training is like the attack training, right? And when they do the attack training, the dog never loses. They start the dog off, if you just look at the bad guy, the bad guy runs away. And slowly but surely, they, they have to bring out more and more aggression to get the bad guy to go away. But the key is that that dog never loses. He doesn't know how to lose. And that's why I say this fight is so mental, because now everybody knew Deontay was no boxer, right? Everybody knew that his conditioning wasn't there. But he got the one hit quick. But now... He didn't hit somebody with that one hit foot and it was still there. Even going back to the first fight, he hit somebody who typically people don't get up, and they got up. The second part of the aspect of mental is Tyson Fury. He's mentally strong because he went through depression, was very open and honest about it. But the only thing worse than dealing with depression and, and bad luck sometimes is dealing with success. So the question for Fury is, can he handle the success mentally. I think uh, probably the best breakdown I saw in this was with uh, Andre Berto, and you know, he said when you, after you lose, and you get back in the ring with a game plan, like you said, plan A, plan A ain't working, it's like a nightmare coming back to you, and so I'm curious to see how both fighters are going to handle it mentally. Obviously, Tyson Fury is the favorite, but you know, Wilder went from being the, the, the best heavyweight in the world to having a puncher's chance. Man, you broke that down so eloquently, man. I, I, I don't even know what to say after that because you just, for people that's listening, man, that was a great analogy when you was talking about the, the dogs and to lead into your segue about what you said about mentally strong and you took it back to the beginning of the podcast when 
we was talking about Roger Mayweather giving, paying homage and respect and sending him off the way, you know, boxing does. And you broke that down and there's, there's nothing else I can say on that. Um, I'm going to leave it at that because you, people, when they hear that, they're going to understand exactly where you're coming from and they're going to understand exactly, you know, what it takes to be in a sport like boxing. Sometimes it ain't about the, the physical skills. Sometimes you got to be mentally sharp. And I always said this about the late, great Emmanuel Stewart once he said this about Floyd Mayweather. A lot of times you have Floyd Mayweather pinned up against the ropes. But the thing that Emmanuel Stewart always pointed out is Mayweather is still sharp when he's up against the rope. Mentally, he still sees everything coming. So don't think for one second that you got him hurt because of the counters that he throws. He's still mentally sharp. And Mayweather always says it, man. The game of boxing is to hit and not be hit. And that's why Mayweather still has his wits and bearings about himself because he didn't take a lot of punishment. He didn't take a lot of chances. And that's why he walked out of the ring the way he did, undefeated. And I got to take my hat off to um, Floyd Mayweather in that aspect. And your breakdown of the, the Wilder and Fury leading up to that third fight, hopefully it'll happen in July and we can go back and touch on it because that, that was a great you know, analogy, the way you used it. And we talk about boxing all the time, man. And, and we've had a lot of memorable fights that we discussed leading up to the fight. And here's a little sound bite on an episode that we did before when we was talking about the Spence Porter fight leading up to the fight. Give me a breakdown on what you think Porter has to do to upset Earl the Truth Spence. Man, you know, I'm gonna be honest with you, K-Sal. I, I very, really, very rarely jump out on a limb like that. I just don't see a path to victory uh, for Porter. Um, you know, I, I'll quote the great Harold Letterman, the late Harold Letterman, when you score a fight, fight is scored on clean punching, effective aggressiveness, ring generalship, and defense. Now, out of those four, Sean is aggressive, but he ain't effective when he's aggressive. He, he just, he throws a lot of punches. He's busy. Um, if, if he were able to win this fight, he has to get inside the power of Spence, have his forehead sitting on Spence's uh, chest against the ropes, a referee that will allow him to throw punches. But I just, I, I, I just don't see a path of victory, K-Sap. I mean, you can talk about a guy who has a punch out, a, a knockout ratio of less than 50%, short of some Hail Mary overhand right catching, catching a Spence on the top of his head, I just don't see a path to victory. Man, I mean, what do you think? It's crazy that you say that, and we always look at the four key points in boxing on the point system. Now, you broke it down clearly, but I'm going to turn the page a little bit. Leading up to this fight, Sean Porter and his dad have been doing a lot of talking. And leading up to previous fights, they don't do too much talking. And I'm with you. The path to victory is real slim because of Sean Porter the way he fights. He is, like Earl said, he is an in-shape MMA dude. 
I mean, he is. It's kind of crazy that Earl Spence said that because if you really look at it for face value, you can understand what he's trying to say. Is because if you look at the previous fights that Sean Porter has been in, I go back to the Berto fight. When he fought Berto, he kind of big boyed Berto, but his effective aggressiveness wasn't really effective. He got effective because of the way he was rubbing the, the, the shoulder up into his chin, the head butts, and at the same time, Berto couldn't throw no punches. Same thing with Adrian Broner. Adrian Broner, he doesn't throw punches, so Sean Porter took a page out of Madonna's book by smothering um, Adrian Broner and forced him to fight, but Adrian Broner don't throw enough punches while um, Porter was laying on him. But when I look at Earl, Earl is the type of person, he throws punches. He throws over 1,000 punches per round, just like the output he did of Mikey Garcia. So for Sean Porter to come in, Earl is not just going to let him lay on him. Earl is going to work that body. Earl is going to hit him with the jab, and Earl is going to give him different angles. Like I said, if he comes in, and you always said this, Juan, and it's funny that you say this, if Sean Porter comes in with his chin over his feet, He's subject to catch an uppercut and go to sleep. And I see if he does come in there reckless, you know, Earl Spence has a lot of angles that he presents. He's not just going to be stationary. Earl would turn him, turn him, turn him to where he gets what he wants. I just don't see the recipe for Sean Porter because his boxing skills to me, I don't see a lot of boxing skills in Sean Porter. I see roughhouse tactics where he what he does is he's aggressive but it's not effective like you said that was the takes leading up to the fight and we was pretty much spot on so we're going to talk about it now with that said dewan that's touch on that spence and porter fight and what stood out to you in that fight is really what you said. I mean, I was wrong. I, I thought that um, that Porter would be stopped. But the, the thing that you predicted was that Spence would not let Porter outwork him. Yes. And he didn't. And the second thing that you predicted, and, and I sort of expanded on it, was that because the expectations were so high, that if there was a close round, if Porter did better than we expected, he might fans might be willing to try to give him some of those close rounds and make the fight seem closer than it was. And that was the big takeaway I took away from that fight. But there's one more piece that we didn't play in the clip, but it actually came true was who wants to fight Porter? Because Porter's like Devin, you know, nobody wants to fight Porter. They call out Thurman, they call out Garcia, they call out Spence, they, they call out everybody. Nobody wants to fight Porter looking at that uh, performance that he had against Spence. And, you know, you're correct about that because we, we've talked about this off topic. We've talked about this on several, you know, phone conversations about Porter after he fought Spence and the way he displayed himself and his showing that he had against Spence that our question to each other was, now, who is going to want to fight Sean Porter? Because of the way that he displayed himself against against Spence and listening to that sound bite and it goes back 
And I've always said this, Lee, I've always had this in my mind about Porter, the way Porter fights, the way he likes the big boy people stay up on you, you know, give you problems, you know, not saying that he's a dirty fighter, but borderline gets away with what he needs to get away with to win fights. But always leading up to that fight, looking at the way Spence always fights. Spence, I've always said, Spence is not going to let Porter outwork him. He's not going to let him outwork him in spots where Porter is going to dig down and, you know, the body work and the, the, the wild haymakers and things like that. Spence is going to stick to his game plan. And Spence is a high, po a high volume puncher. So in spots, like you said, you touched on it. If Spence thought that Porter was going to, you know, steal some rounds and the crowd get excited because he's making it entertaining Spence is not going to go for that. Spence was digging down in that fight and he was throwing body shots, combinations, and he stayed right there with Porter while Porter was doing his own onslaught. And I just thought that was the key leading up to the fight. Spence cannot let Porter outwork him and Spence did not let Porter outwork him. That's why it's always great to have you on the show talking about boxing, man, because it's certain analogies and key points that you always pick up on that the average person probably might not pick up on. And, and you referenced the Kell Brooks fight when he went over to the UK. He went over to the um, Earl Spence, went over to the UK in front of 10,000 UK fans, people booing Earl Spence, the chocolate chip cookies or the whatever Earl likes to eat before he trains. And, you know, they calling him all kinds of names, but the mental strength that you had to show going into the UK when you out there in, you know, a, sur a surrounding that he was in, that's like being out in the ocean with no paddle and you can't swim. And Earl kept his head above water. And like you said, the first couple rounds, they was close rounds. They could have went either way. But what I took out of that fight in the fifth round Earl started putting his foot on the gas. Earl started, you know, closing the distance. Earl started getting up in him. And when you talk about mentally tough, Earl broke Kell Brooks' will. Kell Brooks was so concerned about the eye, the cut from the previous fight, and Earl, he, he targeted it. And once he started breaking him down and backing Kell Brook up, the mental side of Earl Spence said, yeah, I got him now. He's mentally weak. I'm mentally strong. He's in front of his fans, and and I'm I'm giving him this ass whipping the way I'm giving it to him. 
and he just put on the gas. And I've always said Earl Spence, the way I look at Earl Spence, Earl Spence is going to be hard to beat because of his, his work output. You know, he throws his hands. He listens to his corner. He has tremendous body work, the combinations. You know, he knows how to cut the ring off in his movement and his he don't waste no punches. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Because Porter clipped him a couple of times and, and Earl just kept coming. And the thing about it is what we've, we always talk about, and I'm, I'm going to go back to this, is Porter. Porter's showing in that fight. I've always said after that, I, I took a long look at it. If Porter would fight like this on every fight, Porter could be a problem in that division. And, and when I say that is, is, is Porter going to give the same output the way he fought Spence to other fighters that he fights when he gets these chance to fight these guys? Do you think that? Well, I mean, we call before, he's a busy fighter, so he's going to be busy. I don't know that you can get up for a bigger fight than the fight with, with Spence. Um, I don't know that maybe, maybe the Crawford fight he would get up for. I, I can't really see him mentally getting up for other fighters the way he got up for Spence. Everyone counted him out. He went in there to win. He didn't go in there to survive. He's always a busy fighter. He's aggressive. He's just not that effective, man. He just, you know. The scoring is effective aggressiveness, and he's busy, but he's not effective. And that's what I mean. That fight wasn't as close as many people think it was. It's just he exceeded expectations. And that's just, I mean, that's just my perspective anyway. But that's a great perspective because, like I said, I mean, it's a lot of things that me and you agree on in boxing. We very seldomly disagree about things because of, of our knowledge for boxing. We've always talked boxing coming up as kids. And we've always, you know, had times that we were together watching boxing matches. And when you talk about effective aggressiveness with Porter, I'm glad that you said that because I've watched this fight many times with, with Spence and Porter. And my thing about it is Porter was a busy man getting the crowd excited. But if you go back and you look at that fight round by round, turn the volume down and watch the little subtle work that Earl Spence was doing on Porter, you'd be like, wow, that fight was not even as close as it was when it was live. It was just exciting because of what Porter was bringing to the table. He made Spence dig down into another gear and do some things that a lot of people thought that Spence couldn't do. They didn't think Spence could withstand the onslaught, but that goes to show that Earl Spence is a complete fighter and you go back and look at what the late, great Roger Mayweather always says about fights when Floyd fights. If you really look at boxing for what it is, some of these fights that Floyd has fought that people thought was close, they're not even that close if you look at the way Floyd was out there displaying his skills and the, the little pop shots, the quick little counters and stuff. People miss that through live action because you're caught up in the atmosphere and you're caught up in the excitement. But if you go down and break that fight down for what it is, you'd be like, nah. Floyd broke him down like that. And people just, you know, as fans, they look at it. But as boxing purists that we are and the way we look at it, we're going to break down fights. We're going to see how your footwork is. And like you said, tall fighters giving up their height, you know, putting their chin up over their feet, susceptible to, you know, an uppercut or a right hand or a left hand. We break stuff down like that. We watch how people 
you know, cut the ring off. Like you said, the ring generalship, their, their, their footwork, their movement, the counters. We look at everything. The regular fan just looks at it like, oh, man, that was an exciting fight. I think it was closer than what it was. Nah, if you go down and break the fight down, the fight wasn't as close as what you, you think it is. So, you know, it's always great to break down fights and, and look at things like that. But I just hopefully boxing can pick up. And on that line, um, when we're talking about Porter, who would you like to see Porter fight? And who would you like to see give Porter a chance to get in the ring with? You know, it's, it's tough because I'm, I hate to admit it, but I'm really not excited to see Porter in the ring. Um, he, he's a tough competitor. He's a busy fighter. But, you know, he, he really don't have a high knockout ratio. I think maybe the, the Crawford fight, I'm more interested to see how other fighters deal with Porter than I am in watching Porter, if that makes sense to you, right? It's more of how are other fighters going to deal with the adversity of somebody who, you know, might not touch the canvas, uh, and if he does, he's he going to get up. We see him get up against Brolin. We saw him get up against Spence. Uh, somebody that's determined, that's going to be busy, that's going to force him to work. Um, so, you know, Crawford might be a good one. There's not many other fighters. I mean, you know, Pacquiao, I, I just, you know, if I was if I was advising Pacquiao, I wouldn't take that fight at, at all. Um, I can't think of a 147-pounder that I would want to get Porter in the ring with. I mean, I wouldn't want that fight if I was managing any of those fighters. <laughs> Man, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny the way you said that because it made me go on the lines of thinking about you remember the gatekeeper, Demarcus <laughs> Chop Chop Corley? And <laughs> the crazy thing about it is, as you were speaking, I was thinking about that the whole time of the gatekeeper and Chop Chop Corley, where a lot of people really didn't want to fight him, but he was the gatekeeper. And, you know, you could look bad against Chop Chop. Chop Chop would go in there and, you know, Chop Chop would do some things. I remember when he fought Floyd Mayweather, man. He had, you know, at, at times he had Floyd Mayweather kind of befuddled on some things, but Floyd finally yeah, figured him out. Yeah, he had him in deep waters. He had him in troubled waters. And, you know, Floyd figured him out. And that's the same thing I'm thinking with Porter. Could Porter be the gatekeeper? A lot of people don't want to fight Porter, but if Porter gets in the ring, Porter can either win the fight, you can beat Porter up, but he can make you look bad as you're winning at the same time. So, yeah, it is, man. It, it, Porter's a, a, a tough competitor, tough competitor. You know, going back real quick about that, uh, about that thinking man game. I'll go back to the to the to the Tyson uh, Fury fight with uh, Wilder. I'm, I'm curious to see. You know, like I always say, is Wilder gonna start punching from the back? See, that's what I want to see from Wilder. Is he gonna have that aggression? Um, you talked earlier about ring generalship. And, you know, I talked to you after the fight about that. The, to me, Tyson Fury won that fight on faints. Man, the faint was killing Wilder. That was the ring generalship. Caused, caused Wilder to back up, caused him to hesitate, caused him to, you know, to not pull the trigger on throwing the hand because the faint was killing him. I just, I'm, I'm really curious to see if Wilder punches from the backseat. You know, we saw some, you know, my, my boy John, my huge boy John saying. <laughs> I but, knew you was going to say it. After the top of two fight, you know, he's punching from the back seat. Uh, we see Pacquiao take one of the most devastating knockouts ever. And he still stick his chin in there. Uh, we saw Trinidad get demolished by Bernard. He was never the same fighter again. But 
he wasn't punching from the back seat. I mean, you know, he was still aggressive. So I'm really curious to see uh, the mental strength of, of Barber going into that next fight. Man, it's funny that you said that punching from the back seat, and I knew you was I knew you was gonna throw that in there somewhere down the line. And it's funny that you said that, and it's true. It's a lot of fighters that have been you know knocked out, you know, and they start punching from the back seat. And you touched on it, Roy Jones. When Roy Jones got knocked out, when he started fighting after that, he started you know punching from the back seat. When he fought Bernard Hopkins for the second time. Never took a chance on Bernard Hopkins. He just, he just was in there. He was punching from the back seat. He never committed himself, and he stayed out of harm's way. And you touched on, on Trinidad when Trinidad fought Bernard Hopkins, and Bernard Hopkins after nine one one, and Bernard Hopkins, you know, decimated the decimated him the way he did, and then he got a chance to fight Ronald Winky Wright. I don't know, you know, in that fight. You know, Trinidad was still trying to be aggressive, but he really wasn't getting his punches off. In that fight, I rewatched that fight with Ronald Winky White and Trinidad Dewan, and you talking about somebody that controlled that fight all the way through with ring generalship, the jab. And like George Foreman always said, if you got a jab in boxing, you're going to go a long way. And I watched that fight, man, and Rink Winky White, you know, he was the bigger man in that fight. A lot of people, you know, he didn't have the punching power that the one-hitter quitter that everybody said that he, you know, displayed because Trinidad, you know, was a knockout, one of the most devastating um, knockout artists in that division at the time. But Winky Wright went in there and he took away Trinidad's game plan from the start and he dictated that fight for 12 rounds and he put on a, a boxing masterpiece. So, um, and I don't know if you had a chance to rewatch that fight Give me your take on that fight. You know, it's been many years since I, I've watched that fight, but the thing I remember about Winky Wright is he had the unusually long forearms, and he could sit there and, and you know put his hands over over his chin and, and, and walk forward, and that frustrated Jermaine Taylor. It yes. frustrated Bernard Hopkins. It definitely frustrated Trinidad. You know, Winky was one of those fighters, but like you said, with Porter. Devin Haney, don't nobody want to fight him because nobody's ever looked good against Winky Wright. Any people that beat him, nobody's ever looked good against Winky Wright. But going back to that mental strength, you know, Trinidad was a fighter that was used to backing everybody up. Correct. Bernard kind of took advantage of that, beat him with his feet, you know, took advantage of his aggression. But Trinidad tried that aggression with Winky, but Winky just stood right in front of him. And I think, man, had you taken that L before, you know, you hit somebody with the right hand, and you see them backing up and, and, and getting <laughs> on their bike, and all of a sudden you still step into you. Yes. You know, like 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 Berto said, man, the nightmare is coming back. The <laughs> nightmare is coming back. Man. So, uh, you know, pressure first pipes, and and and, and for a lot of pressure on Trinidad in that fight, and I hadn't watched the fight in five years. Yeah, because it stands out to you because you know your boxing stuff. And in certain fights, you don't have to go back and rewatch them. You already know what happened. You already know how to break it down because, you know, your your knowledge for boxing is that, that great. And you don't have to go back and rewatch a fight. You already know what happens because you already have the boxing terminology and you know what you're talking about. And, and it's kind of crazy that, you know, some of the things that you say, 
and and we're gonna we're gonna give this this episode predicated to mental strength in boxing because it's a lot of things that like you said go back to the the the, men, the mental strength and you know circumstances and you know you always hear me use this phrase sometimes you got to be calm under fire and it's a lot of boxers that display that calmness about their self where they don't get rattled. They're still thinking sharp. And I've always said, I got to go back to my man, Floyd Mayweather, the mental strength that Floyd Mayweather displayed with all the outside noise and the distraction, but to be mentally ready for a fight and prepared. And the thing about Floyd Mayweather, he's always had a plan B if plan A wasn't working for him. He, Mayweather was like a switch hitter. You know, he could adapt to any style that anybody displayed on him. And we'll go back to, a, you know, go back to a fight when he fought Oscar De La Hoya, when De La Hoya was utilizing the jab and Mayweather did something to change the game, switch the game in the middle rounds where De La Hoya put that jab back in the holster. And then after that, Floyd Mayweather just had it his way. Yeah, and I'm glad you are called in mental strength. And, you know, I, I'm not a huge Money Mayweather fan. I, I love Pretty Boy Floyd. I, I wasn't a big fan of the persona Money Mayweather. But going back to that mental strength, and, and what I said earlier about dealing with success, you know, a lot of people can deal with rock bottom. They know what to do when, when the struggle's there. They're ready to put in the work. But Floyd was mentally strong, having been successful for all of those years. I mean, look at, look at Adrian Bromer. You know, when he, he he started being successful, all of a sudden he started falling apart. I think he just got another DUI in the last, you know, like 30 days or something. They can't deal with success. They lose their hunger. But Floyd never lost it. He's always been mentally stronger. Uh, the Delahoy fight, you know, he went from a counter right to a leading right. Made Delahoy put the, the, the jab in the holster. But the big one for me, um, you know, we call about Chop Chop had, had Floyd in deep water. Nobody had Floyd in deep water like Sugar Shane Mosley in that second round. And yet, by the end of that round, his, his, his mind was back. And in the third round, he was back to Shane up. And, and talk about putting away the jab. Shane set up that right hand with a jab to the body. And I can see that punch the rest of the fight. So I don't know what he does to him. But it's something that he does that makes them put that jab away. Uh, but the point there is that he's mentally strong able to deal with adversity, and more importantly, able to deal with success. That one is, is a rare uh, find if you were able to deal with the success that they had. Man, that's a great breakdown, man. And I always like your fairness and your boxing, you know, antidote when you talk about Floyd Mayweather. Because like you said, you was not really a huge fan of Floyd Mayweather, but you always recognize the realness of Floyd Mayweather and the things that he displayed in the ring and your breakdowns are, are so honest. And, you know, I give you all the kudos and respect for that because what you just said about, you know, staying, you know, focused and mentally sharp in some of the fights that he fights and you don't understand what he does to make these fighters go away from what we're accustomed to seeing in other fights when they're fighting. And Floyd Mayweather always takes that away from the high-powered fighters and makes them look, you know, just ordinary. And you've always said, leading up to a Floyd Mayweather fight, 
Floyd Mayweather going to suck the drama out the fight. And he always does that. He always does, man. I I think I dropped the, the weekend that he, when he fought Pacquiao. I, you know, I want to say I dropped like 8000 that weekend in Vegas between everything that I played. And, you know, it. I could have stayed home for that because he just sucked the drama out of the fight, man. <laughs> There were some issues about about people saying, oh, well, uh, Pacquiao's shoulder or whatever. It wasn't the shoulder. It wasn't the, the, the hook that was missing. You know, Floyd beat that man mentally, but more importantly, beat him with his feet. Now, every time Pacquiao tried to rush in, he moved, check him with the hook. You know, he's just a technician. You know, like I said, I wasn't a big fan of the Mayweather, Mayweather persona. Still not. But, uh, you know, got to give props and props to do. Man, that's great, Dewan. Like, like I said, it's always great to get you on the mic and talk about things about boxing, man, because, you know, the people always ask about you, man. When you're bringing your man, Dewan, back, man, and everybody always wants to hear from you, man. So I just want to take this time to thank you, man, for joining me once again on the Simply Ball Dropping podcast and, you know, giving the fans your take on, you know, some of these, you know, key situations in boxing, the mentally strong points that you pointed out, man. So I just want to thank you for that. Is there anything you want to say before we wrap it up? No, sir. Just thank you. Hope everyone, you know, stay, uh, stay uh, safe and healthy uh, during this time. And KSAP, thanks for the outlet. I appreciate it, brother. All right, man. Anytime, man. And once again, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. Once again, I'm your host and the man behind the mic, KSAP. And we're going to catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share on all major platforms.